Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy. With discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational thought. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. It is impossible to name and act against oppressors if there are no nameable oppressors. Mary Daly. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And I'm speaking to Professor Diana Tejan Myers about female genital cutting. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, uh, to start off with, could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Sure. Actually, I retired from teaching in 2013, so about four years ago. At that time, I'd held a chaired position in social ethics at Loyola University in Chicago. I've been there for about five years, but I really spent most of my career, 20 years in fact, uh, in the philosophy department at the University of Connecticut. I'm now a professor emerita at UConn, and I've continued to write and give talks, but as I said a moment ago, I haven't been doing any teaching My most recent single author book is called Victim Stories and the Advancement of Human Rights. It just came out in 2016, so it's just about a year old. And before that, I edited a collection. It was called Poverty Agency and Human Rights. So I've been doing quite a bit of work on human rights. But I've also been publishing on autonomy under oppression. That's where female genital cutting comes in. Empathy, sex trafficking, and the migration crisis that we're all familiar with. And so uh, the work continues to come out. But as I say, I haven't been doing teaching. So what was it that inspired you to study female genital cutting? Okay, well, I mentioned just a moment ago that one of the topics that's interested me really all my life is the question of autonomy under oppression, how we can make genuine choices for ourselves and have control over our lives despite oppressive social context. So my second book, this is way back in 1989, was called Self-Society and Personal Choice. And it's an account of how it's possible that individuals living under oppressive regimes can still figure out their own values and goals, often resistant values and goals, and then make choices that are consonant with values and goals that they're deeply committed to as individuals. So 
I'm really interested in how people, despite oppression, retain agency and dignity. And so that was way back that I started thinking about this problem philosophically. And when I learned about the practice of female genital cutting, all the suffering it causes, but I was also really interested in the fact that many women cooperate in perpetuating it. I thought this was a topic that any theory of autonomy with its fault should be able to say something about. And so I published my first paper on FGC, female cutting, genital cutting, I'll just call it FGC for short. I published my first paper on that in 2000, and it was called Feminism and Women's Autonomy. It was very explicit about that, the challenge of female genital cutting. And then the more recent paper that was published in the Critique is a second take, uh, what, 16, 17 years later on that issue. Do do you know why and when female genital cutting started? You know, nobody does. (laughs) (laughs) That's, um, That's one that's lost to the sands of time. All we know is that it predated the rise of Islam in Africa and other parts of the world. And in many places, it got incorporated into local Islamic practices. It's by no means universal in uh, Islamic practice, but where it was already part of the culture, it often just got incorporated into understandings about what Islam required. But it's really important to be aware that Christians and animists in Africa also practice female genital cutting. It isn't exclusively an Islamic practice. Also, different groups practice female genital cutting for different reasons. Besides religion, common reasons include beauty, sexual chastity, fertility, all kinds of things, hygiene. So the reasons are varied, and it depends on which social group you study, what kinds of reasons the people will offer. But as far as the origins... No, nobody really knows. How do you approach female genital cutting from a different angle? Well, unlike some uh, Western feminist philosophers and activists, I'm not interested in proving that female genital cutting is wrong or harmful to women and girls. I'm not interested in figuring out good solutions to the problem and trying to impose them on other people. I'm interested in understanding why some women continue this practice and why it is so hard to leave behind. So 
basically, going back to something I said a moment ago, what I'm really interested in is figuring out how women exercise autonomy, both when they collaborate with FGC practices and when they abandon it. What's going on? How can we understand that? How can we see these women as agents, whatever their decisions about FGC might be? Is there one single procedure of female genital cutting? No, no, not at all. And that's a misunderstanding that some people have. It varies widely. In some places, clitoridectomy is performed. It's the removal of the prepus and the clitoris, uh, the excision of those organs. And that sounds to Western ears pretty terrible in itself, but there are much more severe forms as well, forms in which all of the external female genitalia are excised and the genitalia, actually the main flesh, there, there are no more genitals, is sewn together so that there's only a tiny hole over the vagina and just enough to allow for urination, menstruation. There are lots of variations in between. The most severe form of FGC is called infibulation. And uh, very commonly, um, interestingly enough, women are infibulated um, before marriage, but then after childbirth, they are very commonly re-infibulated. So, there, as I said, there are many varieties, and cultural groups actually sometimes distinguish themselves one from another in virtue of the different ways in which they practice FGC. What is the legal status of female genital cutting? It's illegal almost everywhere where it's practiced. As well, there is a declaration, an African declaration of the rights of women that most African countries, though not all, I'm forgetting the exceptions, have signed on to. It's commonly called the Maputo Protocol, and it went into force in 2003. Many African countries had legally prohibited FGC well before that, and many have passed laws against FGC since the Maputo Protocol. But by and large, the laws aren't enforced, and when they are, what happens very commonly is that the practice just goes underground. I often think about this as comparable in some ways to abortion in the Western world. When you prohibit it, it doesn't stop abortion, but it forces women to go underground and use unsafe practitioners. The same thing happens with FGC when you actually actively enforce 
prohibitions. So an- another point to make uh, is that, okay, so one, the laws are completely ineffective, but it's also important to be aware that just proselytizing against FGC is pretty ineffective. I read a report, this story has always stuck with me. I, I read a report many years ago in which the author describes girls who have learned in school all the bad things about FGC, and when they're asked about FGC in the classroom, they'll list off all the terrible things and why you shouldn't do it, and and then the and then after all of this education, one of the students invites the teacher to attend her sister's FGC ceremony. So everybody, you know, can repeat by rote memory the whole story of the immorality and harmfulness of FGC, but it has no effect whatsoever often on people's actual practices. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. And I'm speaking to Professor Diana Tejan Myers about female genital cutting. Could you tell us about the three anti-FGC initiatives that have proven successful? Okay, so there are three in particular that I studied in some depth. I, I wouldn't want your listeners to think that these are the only programs that have been successful, but as far as I can tell, they are representative of successful programs in various ways. And I... In general, I think it's important to summarize that part of the reason they work so well is that they are very local, community-based, highly participatory programs. They seem to have the most impact. All right, so the three that I actually worked on, they're in different parts of Africa. One is in... Kenya, one is in Senegal, and one is in Egypt. And I'll start with the one in Kenya. It was started by an NGO, which I'll abbreviate as MYWO, M-Y-W-O. It's a grassroots NGO in Kenya that is concerned with women's health and that works at the community level. This particular program is quite well known. It's gotten a lot of publicity, at least in the West. In Milo's program, they trained village women who already had concerns about FGC. And they trained the women to facilitate discussions with other women about the various issues that surround the practice. And in this cultural group, as in most of them, 
FTC was part of an initiation rite in which girls became women. And so this, this rite was really cent- central to the culture, and it was really central to women's power in the culture, the age groups that were formed but as a result of going through this initiation right together. Those age groups became a cohort that was recognized and respected by the community. So the women did not want to give up the initiation right, but they wanted to discontinue FGC. And they created a ceremony, an alternative ceremony, initiation, right? And they called it circumcision through words. No cutting, just conversation. So instead of being cut, the girls go into seclusion and learn about marriage and childbearing and childcare. And they emerge as women and there's a big community party. Uh, celebrating their emergence as women. And the another feature of this program that's very important is that the alternative uh, initiation right is reinforced with public pledges. On the one hand, the parents of daughters pledge not to have their daughter's genitals cut. And on the other hand, parents with sons pledge not to require FGC as a condition of marriage. So in this cultural group, for women, the most important thing is to get married have children. And so if uh, parents with sons are going to insist on female genital cutting in order for a girl to be marriageable, then you can see that uncut girls are going to be outcasts. And so it's very important to have these public pledges. And the public pledges have snowballed, and over the years, more and more people have signed on to them, and women have gained increased power in their community, and the upshot has been very positive. The two other programs that I've studied share some of the features of the Kenyan Project, but they also differ from it. The main difference is that in the Senegalese project and also in the Egyptian project, the principal focus of the projects, first and foremost, was economic development rather than just women's health. So let me say a word about Tostan. It's a project that originated in Senegal, and it has spread to a number of countries in Africa. And as I said, they started out focusing on economic development, but they discovered that women who participated 
in discussions of democracy and human rights and economic development and who engaged in creating um, materially beneficial activities for their communities, they also ended up wanting to talk about FGC. They brought it up themselves, and as a result, Kostan started to incorporate discussions of FGC into their education program. What happened is that in the same way that in Kenya, the women became community activists, but in they concerned themselves both with economic issues and with FGC and health issues. And these women have become well known because the first program in in which Tostan worked, the first village in which Tostan worked, was called Malikunda Bambara. And the women of Malikunda Bambara created a pledge that's now called the Malikunda Oath. So this recurrent theme, the oath to give up, to abandon FGC. And the women actually persuaded the village council to collectively vow to abandon FGC on behalf of the whole community. And so, once again, you see the importance of this public promise to discontinue FGC. And we also notice that the women are gaining status as cultural change agents and full participants in their communities. The last program that I studied was organized by a Coptic evangelical organization for social services called CEOS, for short, C-E-O-S-S. And again, I emphasize here that this is a Coptic Christian organization in Egypt that focuses mainly on economic development, but then came to play a role in FGC abandonment because the women who participated in the program wanted FCC to be one of their issues, and they wanted to use the skills that they gained, the knowledge, the skills, the economic power that they gained. They wanted to leverage it and start to persuade other women and eventually the male village leaders to declare their determination to abandon the FGC. So there's a whole empowerment and recruitment process behind the ultimate abandonment of FGC. And one of the things that I think is really important about this program and that I'd like your listeners to be aware of is that the project, as I said a moment ago, takes place in a Coptic Christian village, not a Muslim village. And I I wanted to emphasize that to you because I honestly didn't know that some Christian sects 
regard FTC as a religious requirement, that was news to me until I read the report about this program, or reports actually, about this program, and discovered that in Egypt, both Muslims and Christians practice FGC. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation. I've been speaking with Professor Diana Tejan Myers about female genital cutting. That's all we have time for today. Hope you've been given plenty of food for thought and thank you for listening.